Like I said, we don't have a huge legacy and heritage as an industry in marketing. And I think there's so many different paradigms and frameworks that, you know, have been super successful in other industry verticals that, again, no reason why they can't apply to ours as well. You know, you just have to go through sort of the hard work of building those out. And, you know, maybe that's a personal thing, but that's what's exciting for me. Hello, and welcome to Sink or Swim, a weekly podcast brought to you by RentSync, where we take a deep dive into the prop tech, multifamily, and rental housing industry. In each episode, we uncover the technologies and strategies used to help overcome operational challenges and increase the value of your multifamily investments. So let's get into our conversation today. Welcome back to Sink or Swim. I'm your host, Nicolina Savelli, and on this podcast, I chat with multifamily and prop tech experts to learn how you can reach more renters, sign more leases, and maximize the value of your assets. And today, we have Chris Willoughby, Vice President of Marketing for Inter-Rent Real Estate Investment Trust, headquartered in Ottawa, Canada, who specializes in residential real estate and owns and operates nearly 13,000 suites across Canada. Chris? Thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here, Nicolina. Thanks for having me. Now, first, before we dive into the conversation about multifamily marketing and everything, I'd first like to ask a few questions about you and your marketing background, because you have a different background than what I've typically seen from multifamily marketers. So previous to this role, you were general marketing manager for Aeroplan and held marketing positions at Cassette, Star Alliance, and Young and Rubicam. As someone who did not originate from the rental housing industry, what led you to this industry? And what do you think kind of differentiates your skill set from someone who was only focused on apartment marketing in their career? Yeah, well, that's a really good question because I think about that a lot and I kind of define myself probably as a marketer first and a real estate professional second, even after three years in this business. I guess so to answer your first question, what kind of led me to this industry You know, when I was looking for my next opportunity after leaving Aeroplan, I kind of assessed what was important to me in my next role. And I would say probably at the top of the list was culture. You know, I think working for a company that's got a fantastic corporate culture that really focuses on employee growth, you know, that holds employees accountable, pushes accountability down through the organization, empowers employees, you know, to make decisions and to come up with ideas a strong kind of cohesive family environment, like to have fun. That's obviously at the top of the list for me. The second I would say was probably data. You know, data is really the lifeblood of marketing, I think, and so many great things that you can do with data to help power your marketing programs. And I would say thirdly, just the opportunity to help shape a marketing practice and a marketing team. You know, I've worked throughout my career in well-established marketing environments and, you know, so taking the experiences that I've had and what I've accumulated in terms of knowledge about a lot of different marketing capabilities. You know, I thought it was really a great opportunity to try and take that and really test myself and see how I could leverage that to help build something, you know, where there might not be the same depth of understanding or the legacy of marketing practice in place. And I would say for your second question, that's kind of what I think I bring to the table is, you know, having kind of a well-rounded marketing background in a number of different industries and, you know, not as someone who's not just focused on one, being able to kind of bring best practices and ideas and thoughts from other categories and see how they work in this industry. Yeah, absolutely. Did you ever work in any type of, like obviously Cossette 
you probably had your hands in different clients, different projects. Did you ever touch the real estate industry while you were there? Or was it, no, this is all all kind of new tactics that you're bringing to the table? I really didn't. I thought about that a little bit before coming on. I'm sure I had one or two projects here and there that had to deal with real estate in some way, shape or form. But it's really interesting. You know, every industry, I think, likes to think that, you know, our industry or our category is so different and, you know, things don't work the same way they do (laughs) in other ones. But I've pretty systematically found that you know, consumers are consumers. And if you go through sort of a process to try and properly understand them, many of the same structure and the same types of things will work across different industry verticals. Yeah. I mean, I come from obviously B2B marketing and I learned, you know, over the years that B2C tactics can be employed to B2B, but you just have to kind of understand your target audience and know how to to kind of strategize properly. So to divide yourself to say, I can't do that, that's B2C, we can't touch that, it's just not true. So I'm sure, like you said, all the same things can be transferable as long as you know your target audience and your buyer personas and how they consume your marketing, right? Now, the need for education comes up a lot when speaking about marketing in the multifamily sector. How have you been educating property managers about the importance of marketing? Yeah, and you're so right because it is an industry that doesn't have a deep legacy of marketing and, you know, if I'm being honest, when people ask, you know, what are the categories that, you know, you think of when you think of kind of cutting edge marketing and innovation? Real estate and multifamily real estate is probably multi-residential <laughs> is probably not good comes top of mind. So it is really important to educate. I mean, I would say some things you typically do, just constant dialogue with property managers. I give a lot of presentations on a lot of different topics, trying to make people understand that, you know, what you think of marketing as, you know, being basically graphic design and advertising and, you know, signage and things like that. Print materials. Yeah. (laughs) Part of it, but there's so much more. There's so many more pretty deep subject matter expertise. And so, you know, putting together and repetition and things like that. But I think beyond that, probably the best way to educate in a way that people really embrace it is to demonstrate value. So, you know, I like to try and make them understand in tangible terms and quantifiably if we can, you know, what exactly our marketing initiatives are doing in terms of helping them be more efficient, helping increase the revenues at their communities, saving them costs and all that kind of stuff. And Usually at the end of the day, not just property managers, but people in general will respond to an argument when they can really understand what's in it for them quite tangibly. For sure. Now, I don't have this in my question list and I don't want to turn this into like a data conversation. However, I do want to ask you if there are any obstacles you're facing right now with attribution and proving those things to kind of, (laughs) because as marketers, you know, we try so hard to attribute everything and, and make sure that all the strategies and tactics we deploy and all the campaigns we run, you know, there's some data behind it. Is there anything that you're finding is challenging right now for attribution or any strategies that you're kind of working with that you're like, I don't know if we're getting the full picture here? Yeah, I mean, I don't think any more challenging than you're going to find in any other environment, right? Because I think that's more about the tactic and the channel than it is about the industry. You know, marketing attribution is always, well, maybe not always. I always think of it as a little bit of a dark art. Like it's, you know, there's lots of models out there, first touch attribution, last touch attribution, multi-touch attribution, and everything in between. But, you know, I think Again, we're just kind of laying the foundation of implementing some of these basic practices. And, you know, most things that you do digitally, you know, they're pretty easy to measure if, you know, someone is 
taking the action or the conversion or accomplishing the goal that you want them to, you know, the same things like offline media and stuff where, you know, they're going to be difficult to sort of prove whether that's here or whether you're selling apples or anything else. So, you know, I would say like most marketers, we try and find ways, you know, there's obviously now with things like QR codes and, you know, trackable or dedicated phone numbers and things like that, there's different ways we can see. But I think the key is really just for marketers to focus on measuring everything, right? And just keep trying to find ways to build that vision, right? And trying to eliminate those blind spots. And the technology is always improving. So there's, you know, if it doesn't work today, it doesn't mean it's not going to work tomorrow. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Like there are so many channels today that companies can use to advertise their properties. How do you approach deciding which channels to use and how do you try and measure that success? Yeah. Well, first of all, it really starts with the objective. And I think people can sometimes lose sight of that. You know, different types of marketing and different types of tactics and different types of channels are really effective for different types of needs. You know, I, if you go back to sort of the traditional marketing funnel where you think, think of awareness, consideration, conversion, you know, that's kind of a starting point. And as you said at the front, you know, really understanding your target audience and the persona and, you know, figuring out the best places to reach them by kind of studying them. What are their media habits? What are their sort of daily routines? And then really trying to understand what the challenge is with that audience that you're facing. Is it a problem with awareness? Is it a problem of consideration where they just don't know a lot about your offering and you got to educate them? So you got to drive them to a website or is it just straight conversion, right? And we just want to get them to click the button or sign on the dotted line. And, you know, then once you've sort of established that, you know, you measure all of those things and you try and just orient your marketing tactics and your plan towards the ones that are demonstrating the greatest ROI, right? If we're talking about conversions, it's like booking tours. What are the channels where I can do that in a way that spends the least amount of money and accomplishes the most conversions that you're looking for? And let's max out that channel and then move on to the next one if we need more. And also I would say, really focusing on quality in addition to quantity, right? Like I think we hear a lot about lead generation and things like that, which is great and it's super important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think people sometimes tend to lose sight of, you know, qualified traffic and, you know, that we've seen can vary pretty dramatically from one channel to the next. Yeah, of course. I mean, we can get into a conversation about that. And I think that we've kind of, you know, I think every channel has its pros and cons. So, and you can always get a qualified lead from Google ads. And sometimes you just won't. Like it really depends on how you're maybe working your Google ads, what keywords you're putting in there, and also what people are searching for at the time. So it's sometimes a gamble, but, you know, for the most part, try and get those quality leads coming through. I will say the reason why I even asked the question about attribution and one of the marketers that came on here said that they were using TikTok for video content and they had, you know, someone doing TikTok videos. And I was just curious how that was being measured because it's a channel that I feel like is is growing astronomically, but also the attribution there is so limited. And I'm just was wondering if there was any way like this dark social is becoming part of your strategy in any capacity as well. Yeah, it's a good question. And we definitely have our fair share of folks again that are, you know, we got to be on TikTok. Everybody's on TikTok. And, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, maybe, right? I'm very unbiased when it comes to the best place to be. Again, it comes down to what's the place that's going to satisfy best our objective, taking into account, you know, things like our budgets, our resources, etc. And so actually this year, I think, I think it was this year, we launched our own TikTok account. I think the other thing we have to, you know, social media is one of those things where I think people really kind of 
tend to generalize social media where the way I sort of look at social media, there's different types of social media, if you will. You know, there's kind of the community management aspect where you're really trying to just promote your brand and you're looking at metrics like reach, engagement, sentiment, and things like that. And, you know, you'll measure that by thinking about how many followers do I have and how engaged are they with the posts, which is about the quality of my content. What's the sentiment? Can I measure? Is it mostly positive, negative, et cetera? And then the other part, though, is really using social media as more of a dedicated kind of conversion channel, the same way you would any other digital medium, display advertising, search, or anything in between, which is really just measured more by conversions, ROI. Well, it's all hopefully at some point measured in some way by ROI, but there's a much more tangible sort of effort and return on that effort and investment. And I think especially in our category, people kind of tend to confuse those two issues or, or, you know, and saying, yes, we got to be more on TikTok and, you know, but why, you know, is, is our objective to grow our brand and increase our awareness, Mm -hmm. then that's fine. And, you know, let's maybe do that. I personally don't know that TikTok is at a place yet where people are actually going when they're ready to make a purchase, especially when it comes to residential real estate. But again, so just about, again, coming back to your objective and doing stuff, but understanding why you're doing it with what objective in mind and then measuring the success and you know being open to change trying things too i think that kind of touches on you know and i'm guilty of this as well and people have proven me wrong where i'm skeptical about the effectiveness of a channel and then we'll try it and lo and behold wow we generated a lot of leases from that channel and i'm happy to be proven yeah. wrong you know the one good thing about marketing is you know everyone can bring ideas and thoughts and you know you got to be open minded right Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now let's get back to the show. Totally, yeah. No, I think that social media marketing has evolved significantly through this COVID kind of transition over the last two and a half years. I think that especially in the multifamily industry, it was not very well kind of focused, like people weren't focusing on it. And then suddenly they had to focus on it because midway through, we got a lot of people saying, you know, social media marketing was the way we reached a lot of our target consumers, target renters. And we didn't explore that before. So now it's become a little bit more sophisticated and the marketing behind it is becoming more sophisticated. So it's kind of nice to see that. And I'm sure the attribution will come with time, hopefully. Now I want to kind of pivot a little bit here in the discussion. Recently, we launched our national demand report. And for the first time since in 2022, rental demand is down pretty much across the whole country of Canada. What are your initial thoughts on demand being down and how does this affect your rental marketing strategy? If Yeah, I did try and bring myself back <laughs> to my university days and cram by reading the rental report prior to the show. <laughs> I did. Uh, I did. Sorry, literally. we don't want our guests to have to do that much work. <laughs> well, it's, no, no, it's, honestly, it's good stuff that I should be following more closely anyway. But, you know, I think the Demand challenge is, you know, there's kind of short-term reaction to certain things. I think my perspective anyway is that the long-term outlook remains positive because there's a lot of macroeconomic factors that I think are going to sustain strong demand for a long period of time. You know, it's not a secret that we've got quite a housing shortage in Canada. That's well publicized, much debated and talked about. And also you look at factors like immigration, which is going to continue to rise, even just sort of general lifestyle trends where I think 
especially younger generation, millennials, et cetera, in part because they can afford to buy right away. And also just in part because, you know, we kind of live in a bit of a as a service type society where, you know, I don't necessarily want to buy the CD. I just want to stream the music. And, you know, so translation for us is I just want to have access to that lifestyle where I can have a gym in my building and a nice rooftop without necessarily having to buy it because there's an immediacy to it. I want it now and I'm not going to be able to afford that lifestyle for a long time. So I think for those various reasons, you know, I think the long term forecast is what keeps us really, really positive. Definitely, you know, and especially as a publicly traded company, we have to be mindful of always satisfying our short-term objectives when it comes to vacancy, etc. So, you know, I look at demand as really kind of a challenge, right? Because unlike some of the other categories that I've been involved in, you know, it's not like we can create demand, right? The same way that McDonald's can create demand for coffee if you're driving by a billboard and, you know, like, hey, wow, mm. that, that great, I'm going to pull over and, and stop. You know, I'm not naive enough to think that you know, if we put a nice billboard on the highway advertising one of our buildings, that that's going to make someone think, hey, yeah, I should really move. You know, so <laughs> right. it's it, it, it really you know, share, uh, stealing, and that's not the right word, but getting the most of the demand that is there at the time. And ultimately, mm-hmm. that really mm-hmm. comes down to differentiation, right? Like, how are you trying to differentiate yourself from your peers or your competitors in what, like most categories, is somewhat of a commodity, right? Like how is my 700 square foot apartment with two bedrooms and a bathroom that's close to, you know, the necessary amenities and, you know, has these in building amenities. How's that different from the one right next door, you know, and how can we exploit that difference and communicate that difference in a way that becomes meaningful for consumers such that they're, you know, they're more encouraged to go with us than with the other guy. So I kind of think of that as, you know, a fun challenge. And ultimately, it also just comes down to being really, really prudent and disciplined and diligent with how you're spending your dollars, which is why coming back to data and and the importance of being able to measure things and just make sure that every dollar has some kind of a reward and that you know what that reward is at the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. Now that is a perfect segue into kind of my next question, which is, can you speak to the importance of not just marketing, but building a strong brand that will resonate with potential renters and ultimately bring those leads in and get you that market share that you're looking for? towards, right? Not creating demand, but getting the demand that's there. Yeah. And I think that it's something that, you know, is somewhat overlooked in our category because historically, I think the multi-res industry somewhat out of not really having the need to, and somewhat out of just not realizing that that's potentially a benefit. It's just not really used that kind of approach in terms of building brands that, you know, attract and create more pull than necessarily just push, right? And I think also, you know, I like to remind folks that brand building takes time, right? It's not easy. It takes a sustained effort over a prolonged period of time to create that repetition, right? Apple didn't build its reputation Mm -hmm. overnight, you know, and, you know, we can't build that overnight either. But I'm convinced that definitely it's something that if you make part of your marketing mix and you're disciplined about, you know, investing in building a brand, Over time, you're going to see great benefits from that, from lower acquisition costs and all that kind of thing. And ultimately, it's what allows you to charge a premium for your product versus the other guy. You know, it's an Apple cell phone and an Android have more or less the same features. And if they don't, they're easily copied the next day. But the reason why Apple can charge a 
in premium is because the brand represents something and a promise of the type of experience that they're going to deliver. And there isn't really a reason why that can also apply in our case. No, absolutely. And funny enough, I think Android might have more features than Apple <laughs> Apple and, products and do at this a, point, depending uh, on... Pound for pound, that's definitely true. But, you know, they've got such a gap in <laughs> the allure and the, you know, yeah. the sort of sexiness of the brand that, I mean, that's the best example we have, I think, in our, in today's totally. marketing landscape of <laughs> what a brand can do. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Now, going back to the need for education, we often see new developments get off to a slow start with marketing efforts. When it comes to lease-ups, can you speak to the importance of building out the marketing strategy well before ground is broken? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that that necessarily applies to lease-up any more than it does you know, other objectives on your marketing plan. I mean, and the reality is the more you plan in advance to build a strong marketing plan, the more you sort of do your homework in advance, you know, we talked about understanding your target audience and that sort of thing, the more successful your marketing plan is going to be. And, you know, it definitely in the case of a lease up and a new development, there's a lot to consider. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of coordination and orchestration that's involved with the development group, the sales team, and, you know, lots of other players that are going to make it successful. So yeah, the earlier you start, the better. And then again, I guess I'm sounding like a broken record here, but really staying on top of tracking, you know, how your marketing and your lease up is doing. And part of your planning is building in contingencies, depending on how you're tracking so that you can course correct. If you see things that aren't working, you're falling behind, you know, you, you don't have to waste weeks kind of replanning and thinking of new strategies because you've sort of built mechanisms of, you know, if this happens, I'm going to do this. If this happens, I'm going to do this. And obviously you can't account for every potential scenario. I don't think anybody accounted for COVID in their 2020 market. No, right. But, you know, I think that the ones that probably had a bit more contingencies could easily sort of take that as a starting point and build on it and react a little bit more quickly than others. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Uh, now, uh, speaking of COVID uh, and the ro remote work era, obviously foot traffic was down significantly during that like kind of peak time, maybe it's picked up slightly, but can you speak to the importance of having um, a strong brand web and a website specifically and how your marketing strategy has kind of changed or pivoted maybe over the course of that? Have you started to incorporate more print and, you know, large signage now that we're kind of seeing a little bit more foot traffic or are you still focusing on the more digital, digital channels um, even past kind of that? that huge kind of drop in foot traffic. Yeah. I mean, I think the one great thing, if there was a great thing, or I guess I should position it maybe more as a silver lining to what was otherwise a really difficult time for everybody, you know, COVID did act as a, mm -hmm. a strong instigator for not just our category, but all categories to, you know, to put in place things that I think intuitively companies kind of knew they had to do. But, you know, I think it's just human nature that people don't necessarily or companies don't necessarily change until they've sort of got the proverbial gun to the head. And, you know, we've kind of got to go in this direction. So I've always been a big believer in digital and that sort of thing. So, you know, I think incorporating that into our marketing mix anyway was always something we were going to do. You know, obviously there's a role to play for all different types of media and that sort of thing. But, you know, COVID definitely accelerated some of that thinking. And yeah, I mean, now definitely opening up to some other tactics. But again, I'm going to come back to, you know, we're unbiased, right? You know, I'm not 
just because we see more foot traffic, I'm not just necessarily naturally going to assume that, you know, print ads are going to work better. I'm going to try and figure out the ones that are actually working better and I can prove it. And I'm going to go with those until they prove otherwise. Right. No. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before I kind of round off the conversation, I just wanted to ask you, the multifamily industry is really just scratching the surface in terms of marketing. Could you speak to the future of marketing in this industry and why you feel it's such an exciting time for marketers? Yeah. And I think that's really consistent with my background. You know, I think what's exciting is, like I said, we don't have a huge legacy and heritage as an industry in marketing. And I think there's so many different paradigms and frameworks that, you know, have been super successful in other industry verticals that, again, no reason why they can't apply to ours as well. You know, you just have to go through sort of the hard work of building those out. And, you know, maybe that's a personal thing, but that's what's exciting for me, right, is really building that out. And the other good thing, just combining that with, you know, my thoughts on where the industry's headed and how it will continue to grow, it's kind of a magic recipe because I've definitely been part of industries and companies that, you know, are at best stagnant or otherwise sort of a little bit more on the downslope. And it's harder, you know, it creates excitement and obviously, to put in place, you know, a lot of more innovative marketing practices, it takes investment in technology, people, all that sort of thing. And, you know, to be part of a category that's growing and also to feel like you've got a, a role in helping that growth is really what I think is exciting for marketers in multi-residential now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of marketers were doing the same things for a long time in this industry and really not exploring a lot of innovation. And I will say that any industry could say the same thing, but I really feel like this industry did lack a little bit of innovation. And I think that there's just like a world of opportunity, especially with the technologies. And I will see, say Rensync is one of those technologies that are really helping to kind of push and move the needle for marketers and give them the tools they need to kind of start to really see their efforts take effect and take hold. So yeah. Now, before I finally get to my last question, I just wanted to ask, what are some things going on at Interrent REIT that you are excited to share with us if you can today? Yeah. So I'm going to pivot. I won't talk about marketing because I'll come back to sort of the personal side. Sure. <laughs> Rent. One of the things that I think is just really part of our DNA, along, I would say, with our sort of a sister company, CLV Group, if you will, is just dedication to our communities. And I know it sounds a bit uh, cliche and that sort of thing. And, you know, there's a lot of companies that are doing a lot of great things in their communities, but I really do feel like it's not just lip service at Interent or at CLV. And I think the commitment to our communities is really special. You might know, but we recently just completed our annual Mike McCann charity golf tournament. And we were able to collect $1.4 million that we give back to wow. various charity organizations in the different markets and cities that we do business. And when you think about it, that's just a staggering huge amount. And at the end of the day, again, you know, I love the professional challenge of my work, but to know that what you're doing also and you know your company is really giving back i think is really special the other thing i would highlight is we've recently you know one of the things i've always believed is one of our great assets is actually the buildings that we have from a marketing standpoint and really kind of like blank canvases and you know that quite literally in the last few weeks we've inaugurated two huge murals on two of our buildings 
one in Vancouver, which we had a kind of an introduction ceremony or a, an unveiling ceremony a couple of weeks ago with a wonderful, spectacular mural on one of our communities that was painted by an Indigenous artist. And it's just fascinating and it's beautiful and has really transformed the neighborhood into almost a museum and taken what was otherwise a very sort of bland, large wall and built this, I think it's a 11 story mural, which is fantastic. And more recently in Montreal, the same thing on one of our buildings, which was a celebration of the Quebec artist, uh, Jean-Paul Riopelle, which is just another fantastic piece of art. So, you know, people don't associate real estate necessarily with that, but you can do creative, special things that I think have great benefits for the community and brighten people's lives for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think that as much as they're buildings, they are, they are homes and they are just like any home. You want to create this feeling of welcome and warmth. And those are the things that you can do to kind of make your communities feel that way without them actually having to do anything. So I think that that's really positive and you're making them feel part of the surrounding area. I also just wanted to note that your earlier comment about, you know, you've given back to the community. And I think that this industry, as much as it's real estate, it's also a service industry as well. I mean, it's about giving and making sure that people are happy. And that's a huge part of it. And I think that through your marketing, you need to show that, right? How much you're doing to kind of ensure that your residents are happy and satisfied and that your frontline staff are doing everything they can to make them happy. And I think that through your marketing, you can achieve that as well. Yeah. And you're so right. It's it's not just good for business, but you know, at the end of the day, we manage people's homes and you know, we take it, mm -hmm. take it seriously. We don't take it for granted. We don't take for granted what an important responsibility that is. And again, one thing that I love about this organization and really starts at the very top with our CEO, Brad Cutsey, is, you know, we really do care about the communities that we're involved in. And that sort of filters down to the entire organization. And we definitely do all go to work every morning thinking about how we can make the lives of, you know, not just our residents, but our communities better. And that's, you know, that makes you feel good about what you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. I know your time is precious. I just have one last question, and that's if listeners are looking to follow you or are interested in learning more about InterRent REIT, where can they go? Yeah, of course. Well, our website's always the best start. So www.interrentreit.com. REIT. I'm sure you can find it. Not always the easiest to spell, but interrentreit.com. <laughs> yeah, we're happy to have you visit us digitally or in person. Perfect. Well, until next time, keep swimming. Take Thanks, care, Chris. Me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You've reached the end of another episode of Sink or Swim. Make sure to visit us at rentsync.com forward slash podcast to access show notes, key takeaways, and where you can sign up to our newsletter to receive free bonus content. If you found value in this show, please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Thanks for listening.